Metricast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Has Roger Smith RSVP'd yet? Wall Street. I went to Wall Street to get seriously rich, but I didn't get rich. Hollywood Boulevard. I went to Hollywood to be a movie mogul. I didn't become a movie mogul. Washington, D.C. The president and Mrs. Ford have invited us down to Palm Springs. He's been I there. I the entertainment business. Done and that. being hired by a company called Carol Co. Pictures. And that. the night before Ronald Reagan was inaugurated. And just about everything else you can imagine. I thought of myself as somebody who was a double agent. He knew a lot of famous My people. experience with Orson Welles. Streisand. How can you possibly hang out with that low-life Frank Sinatra? And now he's talking. Of that, I was invited to some fancy dinner. This is the podcast, Who the F*** is Roger Smith? In this edition, new life for old films. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and Jerry Ford gets political advice from Roger. At some point, I hear the unmistakable sound of golf cleats on marble. And all I can think about is Chevy Chase and he slides he made it safely in but we begin with a collection of legendary films that needed a lifeline eight years on wall street 10 years as 11 years as a corporate executive for warner in the business side of show business i then decided i want to really be involved in the movie business not the financial side purely and i started out as an entrepreneur I launched the Criterion Collection, as it was called then, as we named it, and it is today a amazingly successful, if still small business, but it has 1,400 classic films available on, on high-definition video discs, and it also has a, a channel which, with all those movies available on a streaming basis. And uh, They we, do a really cool thing. They take directors like Wes Anderson and they put them in a room with all of their titles right. on the shelf, and they can pick five or 10, I think. Right. And they go through and explain why they pick them. It's a brilliant little piece. Was that your idea? I invented that. I was sitting in the Magno studio doing our first production, second, second. Citizen Kane was first. We were working on King Kong. And we had a wonderful guy named Ron Haver, who was the head of the film department at the LA County, as our super King Kong expert. And he was just telling one fascinating story after another about the making of King Kong and the special effects and things which were revolutionary for, the, for that day, 1933. When all of a sudden, my partner, not me, got to say, you know what? Why don't we do an audio track? We have extra audio tracks on it. We were doing, these were laser discs then, which had all kinds of technical goodness, but not, didn't work as a business. And we tried it. 
with the sound of the movie off and just the picture with the audio and didn't work right. And then the techie guy said, no, keep the sound of the movie at the audible level so they can know where they are and then do this as an over thing. And that was the first one. And that became the thing that, uh, that one of the things that made DVD. Everyone loved those audio tracks. Most people never listened to them, <laughs> but they all liked the idea that they were there. Market research we did. So, so I thought that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I found myself going from flying on a, on a Grumman Gulfstream 3 to waiting at Newark Airport to take People Express on my own dime. And I just learned something. I wasn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. I was, uh, I'd, I'd been in the, the lush corporate environment for too long. So I ended up saying, okay, I sold it to the people who made a great success of it and uh, the sons of the two founders of Janus Films. And I went out to the West Coast without a job and said I want to be hired in the actual movie business. And I ended up being hired by a company called Carolco Pictures, which was the home of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mel Gibson, and Sly Stallone. Your story is like Robert Evans in that when he was an actor, he was watching the director and the, one day the producer showed up and said, the kid stays in the picture. And he said, I want to be that guy. Yeah, I want to be the guy that tells everybody else, else what to do. do. I always want to be in that room where that happens. Uh, I don't have to be the person. But in this case, I wanted to go to work for Carol Co. because they were at that moment, a big, successful independent. And I knew enough about the politics of studios, having been at Warner for those years, uh, that I didn't want a part of that. Fortunately or unfortunately, they said, look, where we would need you, Roger, is we have this video company out in the valley that called Live Entertainment. And it's run by a guy named Jose Menendez. And he needs a, a strong number two. And that began there. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. I know that you've had a lot of famous friends and some have been politicians. Yes. Some of the politicians I actually worked for incredibly low levels, but in my pushy way, got to know John Lindsay, who's, I'm happy to say, the only Republican I've ever worked for. Isn't it sad that Jerry Ford is only remembered for two things, that he was clumsy and he pardoned Richard Nixon? It's very, very unfortunate, unfair, because a proper sighting of his two and a half years as president would point out that he appointed the absolutely wonderful John Paul Stevens to the Supreme Court that he had as his as his attorney general, Edward Levi, who was extraordinary as well. He hired excellent people and he cleaned up the post-Watergate mess. I was fortunate in get, not only getting to, to meet him, but to spend real time with him by the fact that I was dating a lovely young woman who's from a big 
a Detroit family, and they knew the Fords, and she had worked in the White House as an intern for him, a girl named Mary Fisher. And we were in California and spending the weekend, and she came in Saturday morning and said, I have very exciting news. The president and Mrs. Ford have invited us down to Palm Springs to come down and see them, to spend the afternoon with them, have lunch. And on the two-hour drive to Palm Springs from L.A., she spent the entire time saying, now, Roger, you can't have your big mouth. You can't let them know what a liberal Democrat you are. And in fact, we don't talk politics. We're just as a social occasion. I said, oh, don't worry. I said, Mary, I know how to behave. First was lunch with Mrs. Ford. Jerry was out on the golf course. And I was rather startled to see that the Secret Service was serving lunch. They were. And at some point, I hear the unmistakable sound of golf cleats on marble. And all I can think about is Chevy Chase and a whoomp as he slides. The, no, he made it safely in. We then retired to the den to watch the Masters. So it was another three, three hours or so. And slowly I decided I could say, I said, I want you to know something, Mr. President. You are the only Republican I ever voted for for president, and I'm very proud of that vote. Uh, and I said, I want you to know, I think you would have easily beaten Jimmy Carter if the American populace knew something that I don't think 90% of them knew, which was that you were ineligible to run for re-election in 1980. You had served more than two years of Nixon's second term, and therefore you were limited to one term. And if you had just, didn't you think about getting up in this era of post-Watergate where everybody was turned off politics and saying, I have no concern in, in my first term to be reelected. I won't be run, able to run. I will only focus on being the best president I could be. He said, well, Roger, he said, my advisors, we discussed that. And they felt that this would be announcing up front that I was a lame duck president, that the moment I came in, you know, mm. you, don't have, you have less power when you can't run for re-election. I said, well, with all due respect, sir, your advisors have a greater faith in the sophistication of the average American voter than I do. I, know, I think they would have liked to know that you couldn't run for re-election. I said, now let's, if it's all right, I'm watching Mary's face because when I mentioned the Nixon pardon, he said, and I said, I want you to know that I accept your explanation that it would have been wrong for the country to put them through the picture of a, of a former president on trial. Now, sir, I fully understand why you felt it was better for the country that we not put Nixon on trial. But couldn't you have extracted a full and frank confession from him as a price of a pardon? He said, well, I'll tell you. I regard somebody who accepts a pardon as somebody who's admitting being guilty. If they weren't guilty, why would they take a pardon? I said, Mr. Ford, you are a gentleman. Richard Nixon was not. He didn't play by those rules. And he was able to worm his way through claiming that he never really committed a crime when, in fact, he did. Uh, but it was very warm and friendly. I mean, Betty Ford is exactly what she has been presented to the world as this just wonderfully lovely, you know, sort of your, your best friend's mother. Yeah. Though there was an interesting story that came out of this that um, Don Kendall, who was the longtime head of Pepsi, that day had run into Jerry Ford 
on the golf course. And he said, oh. He usually goes the other way around. Sorry. He <laughs> usually runs the jury was running into people on the golf course yeah. or driving an errant golf ball. Right, yes, right, yes. Well, and he asked, he said, oh, he said, Mr. President, I'm down here with six or seven of my top executives. Would you just stop by the bungalow and say hello? That would mean a lot to them. He said, well, yes, for $10,000. And he was a little taken aback at that. He said, well, okay. And then he insisted on getting the check before he went. So my admiration for Jerry Ford is tempered by knowledge that he is at bottom a politician and he thinks about it that way and but, apparently one for sale and, and on one, occasion yeah for you know uh, one who after he got out of office wasn't a rich man and then over time became fairly rich yeah Since and, I, and I also went on to say i said i really think you would have beaten carter because most people forget how close that 76 election was if ohio had flipped the other way ford would have been reelected. i had i had met carter at a small breakfast before anyone had heard of him when he first started running, he went straight to Steve Ross to raise money for him. So there were about seven or eight of us at this breakfast. And I, and I first, my, my assumption was this guy's never going to get the nomination and I uh, couldn't believe it when he did. And uh, I thought that the uh, down-home act was, was a bit phony. I uh, later obviously revised my opinion of, of Carter. As most people say he wasn't a great president, but he's our best ex-president. Well, in, in right, and what he's done after the yeah, fact. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the economy yeah. at the time, he was a disaster. But not much of which wasn't his fault. He didn't. He didn't decide to be there for the uh, oil embargo, but uh, and then the uh, seizing of the hostages. And um, I was once in a in a meeting with six or seven of my fellow senior executives. I was on board up the plane. We were flying to L.A. and playing backgammon. We were in a chouette and. I had taken an ill-advised double, and I was playing with people that, if they lost three or four or five hundred dollars, didn't wouldn't matter to them. It mattered to me, <laughs> so I, I took this bad double, and all of a sudden I rolled two double sixes in a row, and uh, now I'm triumphant, and I say I'm going to win this one. And they, some, one of my associates said, "Smith, you are the luckiest son of a bitch," and I said. Well, pointing to Steve Ross, I said, as our chairman has always said, I'd rather be lucky than smart. And this guy said, you weren't given the choice. <laughs> <laughs> there was rough kidding with this, the corporate style at, at, at Warner. I don't know about other companies, but it's, there was, you know, if you could be funny, you could get away with a lot. If none of his stories were about you, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Who the Fuck is Roger Smith is recorded in an undisclosed bunker somewhere on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. All opinions are Mr. Smith's own, but everything he says happened because he was there. Bill Bergoli's our producer and editor. I'm Bill McCuddy. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monicelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. 
Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.